Okay, so now I'm reading this from the Queen's University Council Distinguished Service Award citation. Peter Klaus Dorn, the founding director of the Queen's University Graphic Design Unit, trained in both his native Germany and his avidly adopted Canada, a member of the Royal Canadian Academy of Art, fellow of the Graphic Designers of Canada, and a, quote, well-documented genius, over two decades, he has energetically and ebulliently revolutionized the way Queen's presents itself to the world through posters, programs, pamphlets, calendars, catalogs, and certificates, through tidied-up, type-styled, polished publications, a logo already crowned with tradition, and the unfurling of new flags, ties, and banners, much to the gratification of this council's colors committee. He de designs for now and forever, Distinction of his service to Queen's lies not just in physical evidence from stamps to building signs, but especially in the reflected glory of the prizes and praise heaped upon his work by his nation or his national and international peers. Peter Dorn is also the proprietor, or was also the proprietor? No, I still am. <laughs> still am. The Heinrich Heine Press, established in the late 1950s. Welcome to the Bibliophile. <laughs> to start off with reflection on book design in Canada and its flourishing in the mid-1950s. First of all, the Typographic Designer Society of Canada was established 1955-1956. Well, you know, I came to Canada in 1953. I was trained as a typesetter, as a compositor. You know, you go through a typical immigrant cycle, learning English. Uh, nobody wanted a typesetter. Oh, a compositor uh, that doesn't speak English. So it was very difficult. But anyhow, I um, uh, eventually ended up in the Eaton catalog. It's a strange story. I was working in the hosiery department. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Well, it, uh, you know, Eaton's, or the Eaton Center is now had two buildings. One was a factory, the manufacturing, and so on. And in the warehouse, I pushed from the warehouse to the main store ladies hosiery and then I found out that in the same factory building they had a print shop where they printed the, the Eaton's catalog in other words the typesetter so I said oh I'm a typesetter and so on to say a job you know and he said you speak English I said, a little bit you speak French no not at all you have a union card no <laughs> they said well give us your name and uh, we will be contact you so they contacted me after three days saying well we're going to try you out, seeing that you're part of the Eden's family. <laughs> we pay you this, this, and if we find that you work out, then you, we pay you the rate, the union rate, and so on. Okay. So I worked a couple of days on the frame, and then they came and said, okay, you're in. How long did you do that for? It was quite some time. A couple of years? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. But in the meantime, then, there was an exhibition at the Royal Ontario Museum on uh, uh, Bibles. So I looked at the exhibition, and Ellen Fleming had a piece in it, and Carl Dare. So I was very impressed. I visited, uh, visited Ellen Fleming. We struck up a friendship that way, and he said, Oh, you have to meet Carl Dare, who is in Europe on a Canada Council grant uh, learning uh, uh, cutting type It was an influence, really, that led me to establish a private press. I felt I could do better than what was asked of me <laughs> doing the Eaton's catalog. 
So I got myself a little uh, press and started printing. first job printed was Joe Rosenblatt called Voyage of the Moot. Okay, so you met uh, both Alan Fleming and Carl Dare. That connection got you what? Taking night classes, uh, going to Ontario College of Art and night classes where um, Carl Dare taught. And then Caldera of Ilor took time off, and uh, Frank Neufeld continued with the course. So they saw something in you, I imagine? Yeah, well, I, as I say, I worked in other shops, and you know, Howard and Smith's, and trade houses. And I started, as I say, producing type, uh, typesetting than Don Milton at the Heinekeiner Press. There, there is a story that uh, I told, to, was it Marilyn? Yeah, she's dead now. Marilyn Ruter. How I used the typefaces of Cornish and Wimpenny. That was a company that uh, I worked as a typesetter for. And I loved Bembo, and that, that <laughs> used 14 point Bembo italic to do this book uh, for Joe Rosenblatt, which was also my submission to uh, Wrong Font. The first Wrong Font? No, the first Wrong Font uh, is very rare, and uh, it was not the first Wrong Font. Was the second one. Oh, okay. Just to let people know, this is a, a kind of a compilation of uh, of work by various hand press proprietors and That's practitioners. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, through the guild, right? Yeah, the guild of hand printers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We established it was sort of falling apart after number one, and we put uh, number two and together, and. Uh, I, I sort of became the director of, uh, of the Gilder Empress because maybe I was... Well, Will Ruder was very keen. And uh, his father, Gus Ruder, uh, who was really a tremendous hand printer, and also the brother of uh, Will Ruder, uh, uh, contributed a piece. The wrong fonts then developed over the years. I think after 1970-71, I think that was the last time Wrong Font 8, I think, was produced. That was the last one in the 70s. And, and uh, again, why do you think that things took off in the, in the mid-50s? Well, uh, as I say, the greatest influence was Sam Smart, Frank Neufeld. They were all European trained. And uh, they were trained as illustrators or designers. You know, they did not start off from the printing end. They started off... From the design end. And there were, at that time, there were no professional designers in a sense. Uh, John Gibson called at that, that time too. They all struggled for professional status, you know. Bill Toy, Harold Kochenska, they, they all got together and started this movement, basically. At that time, they formed the, the, the typographic designers. And when there's an influx of further professional designers like Burton Kramer. They wanted to expand more than just typography. And there was, uh, I really remember that meeting, when um, we always met at uh, Toronto at the Architects Club. The meeting took place in order to uh, bring in a name change yeah. from typographic designers to graphic designers. And Carl Dare was very opposed to this. Uh, you know, he said, well, don't forget that good ship typography. Yeah. You know, he was very, very adamant about it. But uh, I think the vote carried 
to rename it to, to uh, Graphic Designers of Canada mm -hmm. because it was far more embracing. And I think, you know, people like uh, Bert Kramer and uh, I forgot who else, but a lot of uh, other designers uh, uh, felt that way. So, so again, they sort of expanded it to include advertising, that's copy, right. design. Oh, yeah. Prior to that, it was more of a focus was on the book. Well, Frank Neuville was a book designer, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing too is Oxford University Press, you know, with Will Toy, Harold Kochenska uh, at the U of T Press. Matter of fact, because of my printing and interest in hand printing and uh, the things I turned out, they were looking for uh, uh, assistant to Harold Kochenska, and that's how I got into U of T Press. Oh, so you worked there, did you? Oh, yeah. For how long? Oh, five or six years. Okay until uh, I worked with Harold. And then when Harold left to join Oxford University Press, I took his position for plant typographer. So you see there's a division within the University of Toronto Press. One is a publication end, and one is a printing end. Well, okay. I worked for the printing end as a designer. Laurie Lewis, Angelina, yeah. they worked in the editorial end of and how did that go together? Did you? Uh, well, that, well uh, actually, we were quite independent from each other. Sometimes uh, I would do books for U of T Press outside of ordinary printing uh, things like invitations for uh, cars. You know, I even got a letter from cars, you know, you liked it, or an invitation for Robertson Davis. We did more commercial work, not just books. Anything for the, for the university, right? That's right. Or also clients came to the University of Toronto Press because it was the university press. You know, they didn't want to go. It was maybe they felt it was more prestigious okay. to go. You know, Robertson yeah. Davis, he, he would go to U of T Press. What did I print for him? Oh, it's some invitation. Well, you know, there was a whole gambit of things. Okay, let's go from there. What, what happened in your career then? You were there for five or six years? Yeah, and then uh, in the 70s, uh, again, you know, I was terribly influenced by Calder. I had a Canada Council grant and went to Europe, visited the Gutenberg Museum, and, you know, all the things. There was an international exhibition that took place in Toronto, Typomundus, and that was another sort of point for me. Typomundus was moved from the United States to Canada because in the States there were people there that came from Czechoslovakia and from East Germany and they said, well, no way. Uh -huh. So it was moved to Toronto. We organized the thing. A lot of other people, not yeah. me, you know, I was sort of a helper. What happened is that the East German juror, Horst Eric Walter. A juror meaning that there was a big competition. Yeah. It was a, a book competition. Yeah. He was refused entry to the States. They were all invited to come to the composing room, which at that time was a big uh, type house in New York. So I spoke to him and I said, well, well what are you going to do here? You have to understand the situation in East Germany at that time. I mean, to get out, <laughs> you practically have to leave your wife and everything <laughs> behind, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, how long can you stay? Well, he said, I have another two weeks or so. And I said, okay, well, why don't you stay in our house? Uh, we became good friends. And they, he said, well, what can I do? I, you know, I can't give you money. I can't give you this. And I said, oh, that's it. Well, you're a professor at the uh, 
School for Graphic and Book Design in Leipzig, which was the school. So uh, I got an invitation to come and uh, study for one semester at the Academy for Book Design, for Graphic and Book Design. The University of Toronto Press supported me in that endeavor. Matter of fact, they paid me my salary. While you went. <laughs> While I went there studying in Leipzig. And then again, when I was in uh, West Germany and uh, Hermann Stopp, for, for instance, he was, well, there was another book competition, the look of books. Yeah, Canadian. Canadian, yeah. sponsored by Industry, Trade and Commerce, who were interested in peddling Canadian paper. They weren't interested in design, mm. you know, <laughs> because the reason for for these for that uh, look of books competition was not so much the look of the books, but that that was printed on Canadian paper. Roland, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that was one of them. Well, yeah, well, up to be Roland, you know, they all had, you know, you couldn't use Strathmore, so, but you could use Byronic text. So, uh, Zaff was involved in the, the, for that, one of the jurors for that? For the first uh, look of books competition, yeah, I think, uh, and I was also uh, on the jury, and, uh, and I met Herman Zaff. Matter of fact, he, look, I have to show you. Sure. Here, hanging on the wall, he wrote me a whole alphabet. There's another organization you probably never heard of. It's called the Quadrats. It was a loose assembly of uh, type nuts and typophiles and uh, met in Nessie College. Doug Lockheed, who was the chief librarian, also was very interested. And that's why Messe uh, College was a depository, for instance, for Gardaire's papers. Robertson Davis, for instance, was extremely keen on typography. I mean, he was a calligrapher. That's how he signed his, uh, his, his books. Yeah, he got proofs of his. And uh, he gave us his wine cellar. I mean, the wine cellar that was attached to part of Messe College. Yeah. As a papermaking room. Well, they've got lots of uh, actual presses in there now, don't they? Well, Roy Gurney, his presses are in his type. Okay, and so we met there monthly. Fleming gave a talk, Carl Dare gave a talk. You know. Matter of fact, to be a member of this illustrious group, you had to give a talk. Once a year, uh, Robertson Davis gave us his private dining room. Mm-hmm. I tell you, the service was just supreme. You know, you really eat on porcelain. You know, with candelabras. They're really treating the photographers uh, uh, really. with respect then. <laughs> yeah. Most of us died away. Humphrey Milnes, Ian Montagnes was there too. Al Fleming. So then that takes you to what? To the early 70s? Yeah. And uh, at that point you came to Queens? Yeah. And they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> the Queens Mafia. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Oh, the Queens Mafia, yeah. Flora MacDonald and John Meisel. From from that point until what you spent many years with Queens, just yeah, designing yeah. everything to do with with Queens, yeah. more or less. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps we could then look now at just your thoughts on some of the the best, some of the great books that have been produced by uh, by Canadian book designers. Well, what, what comes to mind? Well, Frank Newfield for sure. You know when he joined. McLean and Stewart, I mean, he really did a tremendous job. Just the other day, I come across uh, Leonard Cohen's The Spice Book, you know, and uh, 
I look at it. It's the first edition, you know, was a die-cut jacket and so on. You know, at that time, that was pretty good. Reed, this tremendous portfolio he produced for the fisheries. Salmon. Uh, I mean, you know, that was outstanding. Harold Kuchenska uh, designing the Gutenberg Galaxy for Marshall McLuhan, you know. It was a breakthrough in a way, you know, the way he handled uh, things. Experimental and uh, lively. Yeah. And, and then, well, Fleming, oh, he did so many outstanding books. I mean, he even did some private uh, uh, press books. I mean, he didn't print it himself. But, no, uh, you know, the Marlet, I think it's called. That's right. Any personal favorites of yours? I very much like the books that Coach House put out, the one that the Alicando Press turned out. Will Ruder worked publication at U of T, you know, with Alan Fleming, and he turned out tremendous books. With both with U of T and with the Aliquando Press? Yeah. You know, it really bothers me always a great deal that when Alan Fleming joined U of T Press, and I think they invited him, and, you know, he was at McLean Advertising and then Cooper and Beatty. I mean, it's just unbelievable, this guy. <laughs> but, you know, practically all the books he designed, either the one in the ward or whatever. But eventually, the U of T Press came to the conclusion they really couldn't afford Alan Fleming. And it really bothered me a great deal <laughs> in a way that he was sort of pushed aside. At one time, he was a conquering hero. Here he comes. And now, uh, you know, we can't afford this anymore. You know, it's nice to design uh, award-winning books but we can't afford the price anymore. Yeah. Well, well, I felt sad about that. Mm -hmm. Any other books that come to mind? As I say, Burton Kramer did things. You know, he followed the international style. You know, Helvetica, Grit, and so on. You know, Burton Kramer and... Uh, well, where did he work? He has his own studio. Okay. And he designed quite a few books? Well, it's more corporate design, but he did okay. some books. You see, it was Carl Dare and, and Alan Fleming, also uh, Will Ruder, you know, there was a sort of humanistic approach towards design, while on the other hand, you have that sort of Burton Kramer, Stuart Ernst Roch, they have that sort of Helvetica international style. But you know who else was very good at that sort of thing? Was he used to work in Montreal. Oh, yes, Glenn Galuska. Glenn Galuska. He, he was very good, too. Well, why don't we move then to, again, the Heinrich? Heinrich Press. Could you talk uh, to me about, first of all, what you've produced for it? You talked about Rosenblatt. Well, Joe Rosenblatt, another one was uh, Barker Faley's translations of Heinrich Heine. Barker Faley believed not in the poetic translation of Heine like uh, Elizabeth Browning, you know, he believed in a free verse translation. So he gave me uh, his translation. And I did that side by side, right? But you know, through Barker Faley, I really learned to understand Heine. <laughs> there is one poem, Lied of the Michael Tenderman, Song of a Camp Follower. There's a section in that poem where she says, you know, uh, uh, never mind the flags and the uniform and the weapons and all that crap. You know, just give me the naked men, and in the naked men, I love humanity. You know, it doesn't matter what flag they are and what uniform they wear. Up. You know, mm. and that that really was a sort of essence. I like that very much. Uh, my idea of the private press was to have something meaningful rather than just all made. You know, sometimes you can do things like this here. You know, 
which is really nice, but, uh, um, you know, it's playing around, but uh, that's why I wanted to use Robo Rosenblatt's poetry. Because you felt that it there, really had meaning? Yeah. That's right, yeah. Well, it was dedicated to Milton Acorn, you know, the, the people's poet. Yeah, <laughs> he's from PEI, wasn't he? Yeah, and the Heinrich Heine, you know, and then one of the contributions I did to uh, one of the Ronfons, I forgot which one, Make Love Not War. Just broadside, or? It was a small poster, and I printed it on the uh, on financial post. <laughs> you know, and Abe Bayevsky, well, he made the cut for me, a woodcut, and I used that. Perhaps you could get to why you set up this private press of yours. Why did you do it? Well, first of all, uh, I was frustrated with doing Eaton's catalog, and I said, I could do better than that. You know, attending the uh, OCA meeting call, and I said, I forgot where I got the press from. Ah, it was a Adana, small hand Adana, you know, table. Ah, yeah, there was a bookstore in, in Toronto. They carried mostly uh, socialist literature, and they had that, and I said, well, don't throw it out, give it to me. And then, you know, working at Cornerchamp in Penny, that's where I swiped the type, <laughs> you know. <laughs> when the guy, and then the proprietor came and said, well, what are you doing? I said, are you a bedroom printer or so? And I said, no, I'm doing this and that. And he knew of Claudia. And he said, okay, <laughs> keep it. <laughs> it was your desire to do something more meaningful. That's right. To, to show what you could do. Well, maybe to show what or to satisfy me. I don't know why. And you did how many books in total? Not too many, right? You mean as far as private printing is concerned? Yeah. Books. I have books under the imprint of Heinrich Heine Press, but they were books that more or less were sort of commercial. But know, do you have any that you would classify as fine press books? Well, in a way, yes. That one, the letters of this really... It's not fine press book, but it, it, it's a typographic nightmare. That you had to uh, turn into a, a dream? <laughs> a, a better dream? No, it, it became very, very difficult to have uh, footnotes, endnotes, using old-style figures, using full figures, using small caps, page numbers, dates. That was a challenge. There was another one. This is part of Benjamin Disraeli letters. Uh, it's in the two volumes. No, would you believe they're going to be thirty volumes? And you're involved in all of them. Well, no, the style has been set. What Alan Fleming did for Erasmus, you did for a Disraeli. That's it. That's basically it. And and so you set the template for the first oh, two yeah. or three. And then they just... In fact, the first ones were still done on monotype. And now that is a U of T press, and yeah. that looks like it's 1982. The whole research team is from Queens, and they were looking for a publisher. It was either uh, McGill-Queens University Press or U of T Press. U of T Press probably made them a better offer, I don't know. There are 30 volumes of his letters? There will be eventually. Well, it's a real uh, literary detective story, how they came to find those letters, too. <laughs> they were in somebody's attic. In England. <laughs> Still going, the project. And just getting back to your own private press. Heinrich Heine Press. Well, i show you an example. Oh, there's the violin. Heard about that one. Oh, yeah. Well, that was still U of T Press, yeah. But I just wanted to show you the sort of commercial imprint. Here's another one. The Rock and the Sword. This is the history of the St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, Kingston. 
But what about the very early then, ones then, the, the Rosenblatt? They weren't commercial. No, they were strictly 125 copies and so many copies for a wrong font and so many for giving away. And those were on your hand press? Yeah. So how many of those books did you produce? Hmm. Oh, that one here was Stephanie Ninish. That, that was a nice one. I like that. I still like That's it. gorgeous, yeah. 1969. So there's Joseph... Rosenblatt, Voyage of the Mood. Mm. This one is... Reflections on Love. Reflections on Love by Stephanie Ninich, with line drawings by Jennifer Ryder-Jones. And this one is called Miraculous Montages. Yeah, that's John Robert Togolombo, Don John louis Matter of fact, I broke my press on that thing because, you know, of the blind embossing. You see here, the oh, blind yes. embossing, 1966. So these are separate pages. Yeah, yeah, you see here, it's even signed, John Don Louis. Oh, yes, that's lovely. Okay, so there was a, a handful of these books, and these would have been done on a hand press. Oh, yeah. Another one, The Voyage of the Mood. I did this, uh, that's an old copy. It took me half a year to print. Arbevayevsky Legends, you know, Indian. You know, it's uh, English, French, and uh, Greek. Now, who was Ava Bayevsky? Well, he's a painter. He's a Canadian war artist. That's gorgeous, though, isn't it? These are original prints. I mean, they are hand-printed. They're not offset prints. They are letterpress prints. And it's on handmade paper, you can see. We brought the paper in from Scotland. You know, it still has the... Watermarks? Well, watermarks, but also the uh, edges. Oh, from the screen. Belgian green. Okay. They printed 150 copies. Yeah. And these were woodcuts. Well, it's it's a material it's called type high. It's like a lino cut in a way. It's not wood. It's not lino. It's, uh, it's kind of in between. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I think there must be 12 kilts. But that is basically behind the kind of press. When I came to Kingston, I still did things. But I gave my printing presses to Queens when I retired. That's sort of what's left. <laughs> of the Heinrich. <laughs> okay, let's get a shot of it. What is this? It's a same sort of press that I started off with, the tabletop. Well, you know, I still use the old type frame here. <laughs> well, let's, let's just have a, a wrap-up then of the press. It started off with the... Uh, Rosenblatt, uh, Joseph Rosenblatt, right. Voyage of the, Mood. of the Mood, which is a kind of a pamphlet. 63. Then, well, we've already mentioned them, but Miraculous Montages. Yeah, but I that produced was that for John Robert Colombo. Under your press's oh, yeah. imprint. Well, I, I used this poetry as well as uh, Don John Louis' drawings. And then there's Reflections on Love, 1969. And this was by the author. And the author was Stephanie Nenich. And then we've got this one over here. Barker Feli, poems of 1922 are not long after. 72, I already had moved to Kingston, but I still printed that in, in Toronto. It was my sort of transition. And then you gave your press or presses to the uh, Queen's University. Yeah, they found a home there. They were put in the printing department, and the printing department now doesn't exist anymore. Queen's got out of the printing department. So the fine art department wants them. Okay. 
That's kind of interesting. It, it, that's what happened with the typographic designers society moving toward more of a general artistic design society. Yeah. Well, they have a fine arts uh, department and they, they have printmaking, you know. Yeah. But yeah. they don't think have any letterpress. You know, they have, you know, etching presses and so on. Do you think it's a dying art then? Letterpress? Yeah. But it has become popular yeah, because again, of this. The Mac computer. It's unbelievable. The typefaces, can you imagine? <laughs> you had all those typefaces in metal. Look, I still got, you know, see, those are still uh, metal type cases here. <coughs> it's another piece that's left over from the press. I still have type here. Oh, yes, okay. It's a face designed by Hermann Zapf, Sistina. Any reflections on your life for us? I don't know. You did things because at that time you felt it was the right thing to do. So I can't regret it. <laughs> I mean, you made choices, and those choices were deliberate. They weren't forced on me. I made these choices. At that time, I felt I did it right. Maybe now I still have a hankering going after private printing. <laughs> you still might produce something. <clears throat> well, there is a guy here in town, and uh, we got together. There is a group in, in, uh, in Ottawa, hand printers in Kingston. They met here once and we produced a book in one day. <laughs> What's a one day wonder? Wow. Somebody did, I did some typesetting. And so what you're telling me is that there's, there's still maybe some private press books to come from you. I might do something. I may not do hand typesetting, but I can see with a computer you can create, you know, you can come very close to Gutenberg <laughs> by narrowing letters and so on. Because that is what Gutenberg did when he did the Bible. You know, he had n not just one lowercase a, he had several lowercase a in order to achieve even spacing. So, you know, to make it thinner or a little bit wider and so on. So he got even spacing. You can do that on the computer now. And there is a process where you can create a polymer plate, you know, etch it out. And if you have the press, you can do it. I always have a little bit of a feeling that's cheating, but I, maybe it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can't tell the difference in the end product. Because, you see, you have such a variety of typefaces. It's just endless. I mean, every every month I get these letters, monotype newsletters and so on. They're, they're come, coming out of the woodwork. Some are really nice and squirt, but a lot of them are sort of rehash of, uh, Renaissance typefaces and well, Cauchy, you know, it's a Venetian typeface. Kind of redesign of it. That's right. Yeah. So if Cartier can do the Cauchy based on uh, what, Alighieri? So there's there's Cartier and there's Cartier book, right? Well, yeah, well, the Cauchy book is a regular the, and the medium and the bold. That is the one that Lord MacDonald did. There's Cartier, which is Caldere. Okay. Well, uh, what do you think the future holds? Are you excited by all of this, or...? Well, I think it's quite exciting. Yeah. Matter of fact, you know, I thought about it the other day. You know, each new technology brings forth a new different design. You know, at one time, you're built into the square, into the metal square. Everything, you know, is... Well, there's a new technology that doesn't... You're not tied up into anything. You can just fool around and 
with the addition of uh, Photoshop, you know, I mean, when you look at Stephanie Mills book for each illustration, you need a uh, you need a cut, which takes a hell of a lot of time, right? Well, time and cost. You don't have to go through that expense and time anymore. No, on top of that, you can distort this as much as you want. But when you look at designs that are coming out now, well, they're things you, you could have never thought of. That sounds pretty optimistic. Well, I'm not pessimistic. Well, that's a pretty good note for us to finish on. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. Okay, no problem. I've been speaking with uh, Peter Dorn, who is currently sitting in his uh, studio in, uh, what, just outside of Kingston, Ontario. Halfway uh, between Kingston and Gananoqua. Overlooking a lovely marsh. Thanks again for your time. Thanks, Nigel.